Good. Thank you, Ruth and Jane. That, was that part of your senior recital piece? That, or will that be another time? <laughs> See, I just looped her into playing again for us. We're thankful for the opportunity for people to share their gifts, minister, and point us in the direction of the source of all true beauty, the Lord God. I had a special thing I wanted to do right at the beginning here this morning. I'd like to pro, proslambo each of you. In obedience to the scripture, I want to proslambo each of you. Paul writes in Romans 15, 7, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Now, what's interesting about that accept word, the Greek is proslambo, is that it's often translated welcome. I want to welcome you in the same way that I have been welcomed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcoming people well is an expression of the gospel that's at work within each of us. So, want to welcome you. We'll have time through the course of our worship to give praise to God. Uh, following, we've got time together. And one of the things we're doing, um, I, you'll see me in the morning often with this larger name tag. Uh, that's so folks can identify who I am, who the greeters are, and you know just where to go. They told me this morning they're really excited because it, it, it doubles as a bib, which was another reason I look so spiffy this morning. Well, we've gathered to worship the Lord. Um, our uh, call to worship which apparently didn't get in my notes, is Psalm 105. So let's read responsively, and we'll follow in this way. Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord be praised. Let us stand as you're able and sing hymn number 571. The words will be on the screen as well. Praise my soul, the King of heaven.
Amen and amen. Have a seat if you would. Well, again, I will proslagamao each of you. We welcome you uh, in the grace of the Lord Jesus. Those of you who are on site, we've gathered here in Holland, Michigan. But by way of live stream and our recorded service, we welcome you that you would have us in this moment. By that means, join you where you are in your time. I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit can bind together across time and space the body of Christ and all that he brings together. We're gathered in that. Well, after the service this morning, we'll have a time. It won't include ice cream like last week. If you weren't here last week, you missed more than just a wonderful service. Golly. But we'll have coffee, munchies, juice, time to fellowship and be together. Um, I will be doing my question and answer, kind of a follow-up time, an open time for conversation in room number one in the basement. So we will do that. Wanted to give everyone a... um, heads up some of the things that are coming in the future. Next Sunday, Mary Lynn and I will be in Charlotte, North Carolina. We're driving down the end of this week for a memorial service um, on Saturday in Charlotte with family. Then we'll go up to Virginia and Asheville, some places where we've ministered before. And then the week after that, we head for the beach. So I'm actually going to be gone, and I don't know when I last did this, but I'm going to be gone three Sundays in a row. Pray for Mary Lynn, because often what happens, I just start preaching to her. (laughs) So, but we'll be gone for three. Next uh, Sunday, Tanner Smith, um, who's a classmate of JB's and works with Colossians Project, um, a group that works with churches to have conversations about challenging topics in our day and time. He'll be preaching. The week after that, we'll hear some about our own missions work through Luke Joyce and others. Luke is a a member of the council who's sensed a call as a layman to preach some, and so we're giving him opportunity to cultivate those skills, and you'll hear more about Honduras and all that God's doing through Hardawike there. It's fun to be a part of God's good work. And then Memorial Day, that third Sunday, is an all-Hardawike like outside or if bad weather in the anchor. We come together on those holidays like that. Now, a couple of quick slides, things to touch for you. One, I was fascinated, and this should be the Gateway Mission. When you take household goods to Gateway Mission and drop them off with them, they repurpose those, get those out, and they've determined that through what we've been able to do, just that part of that, you can see the different things that go on with them. Meals served, nights at shelter, months of program happening. So we're able to minister uh, in that community in this way. I thought I was just cleaning up my house, but we're extending God's love to folks. Some things happening here at Hardwike, flower basket sale, way to get some flowers or spruce things up at the Uh, money will go to underwrite our Honduras mission trip in June. Uh, Also, Tulip Time parking. If you want to go to Tulip Time, there's a great place to park, the five-star realty. Anything you donate there, I think they're even charging $10. That goes on to our uh, Honduras mission trip. And finally, at the home of Joyce Cortman, an English tea. And when Marilyn did this at our home, we discovered we also had to have not only English tea for those who like that, but for all the Dutch people, we had coffee. Um, It was funny. She did an English tea and served more cups of coffee. Say, we're in Holland now, aren't we? 
It's all good. So that's June 3rd at uh, Joyce's home, Marvelous Garden sort of thing. So this is life together. I often think when we gather to worship, my goal is not simply to deliver an inspiring message. I try to do it, and sometimes we even get there. But more than anything, my goal is to take this hour and build community. We're part of a transnational, transhistorical move of God. We're one scene in a bigger movie. And we're bound together, not by what we look like or what we do in the world, but we're bound together by what Jesus did on the cross for us and for all people. There's a faith that brings unity in the church, a faith in Jesus as he's made himself known. And so we try to touch that faith in its historic sense each Sunday with a question from the Heidelberg Catechism. And we're still working on question number 53 about the Holy Spirit. The question is this, what do you believe concerning this, this Holy Spirit? First, that the Spirit with the Father and the Son is eternal God. Second, that the Spirit is giving also to me, so that through true faith, He makes me share in Christ and all His benefits. He comforts me, and He will remain with me forever. Our next hymn, Stand As You're Able, is 754, Lord, speak to me that I may speak. Amen, and have a seat if you would. Sorry, I didn't change that slide. You might have guessed that I'd be the one who's praying. In the course of my own prayer time, and I've shared this before, but I'll reiterate, um, I've had a sense while praying, uh, the call to look around. This morning as I was praying, I looked around, a mall shooting. I had to look a little deeper, but I found that a police officer had been killed in Chicago last night as well. I look around, and what I've sensed the Spirit saying is that this is what it looks like when salt loses its saltiness. I'm very encouraged and excited in the midst of this heartache 
by the plans that are emerging for our summer series. Um, Lord, teach us to pray. We're going to preach through the Lord's Prayer. And I've begun asking, and I invite you to ask this with me. Lord, teach us to pray. My prayer is that by September, all of us in celebration, all of us in fusion and watershed, that all of us will not simply have heard a number of good sermons on prayer, but that our hearts will be impacted, will connect with resources, will find other people, that all of us, by God's grace, by September, will be able to have taken one step forward in the life of prayer from wherever we are, because that may vary with each one of us. That's fine. That's good. But could you pray with me and set this goal one step forward? One step forward in the life of prayer that God might renew in us his great work and that having renewed that work in us, we might bring hope and life to the world in which we live. Let's turn to the Lord and pray. Father, we would pray. Teach us how to pray. I remember years ago working through the book by uh, Dr. Andrew Murray, With Christ in the School of Prayer. And I began to realize as so many pointed to that book and as he revealed there, that you are anxious to teach us to pray as we join you, Lord Jesus, whoever lives to make intercession. That right now as we kneel in our hearts to pray that we were joining with you in what you're doing, making intercession for our world. Thank you that it's not in the repetition of words, but in the connecting of our hearts and minds, of abiding in you and your spirit, cultivating your fruit in us, gifting us for service. So, Father, we pray, teach us to pray. Have your hand as we prepare this sermon series, and then as we hit summer schedules and the coming going, you work through all of that to help each of us take one, prayer, one step forward in the life of prayer. We do make intercession this day, Father. We pray for Hardwick Ministries and for all the things represented in going forth from our lives into your world with the good news. We pray for Pastor Aaron and for the watershed community across the parking lot, for Pastor JB, who'll be sharing your word with the fusion community just across the hallway, and for Pastor Florencio and Missione that from right where I stand, the good news of Jesus will be made known in the Spanish language. For Pastor Darwin, who'll be across the bridge today, uh, sharing in English, but with the Laotian church. Thank you that the good news of your gospel goes to all your people. I pray for New Heart Church in Muskegon, where I've been doing uh, ministry as they hit a new season of life and sharing with them some during the week. Guide us, make us mindful of all that you are doing, and then help us understand where you would place us in that, where we go to school, where we work, in our homes and neighborhoods. Father, we pray in particular for this community, the celebration community of Hardaway. Thank you that among us here, there are years of stories of your faithfulness and grace. We've had joyous times, we've had hard times, but in your mercy, you're, you have brought together a people, a gathering of your people, an expression of the body of Christ. So bind us together in love, 
and encouragement. Boy, I just have a sense I'd like to give you a silent moment to pray for what you may have brought in your heart and mind. Pray for something as God brings, brings it to mind for you. And pray as well that you might have a sense of one concrete thing you can do for that situation or that person this week. So, so pray as God would lead in the silence of your hearts here. Good Shepherd, thank you that the people that you brought to mind, the situations, uh, that you would call us and empower us to uh, bring whatever touch is appropriate, a phone call, cookies, a smile. Thank you that you use us, yes, Lord, even us, just as we sang. You teach us to pray for those in authority over us, for as sovereign God, you have uh, divided your authority and delegated it into earthly institutions, always accountable to you. But in our cycle this week, we pray for local government and agencies, for Holland City and the governing boards and administrative boards there, for Park and Holland Townships, for Ottawa County, the local happenings and goings on in its various expressions. We pray for school boards and for the educating and training and encouraging of children in public schools and private schools and charter schools and home schools, virtual uh, education, every form it takes. Father, this week I've had a particular heavy heart to pray for teachers and administrators, the, the folks boots on the ground in the buildings with students of all ages. Be an encouragement and a strengthening for them, even as I'm painfully aware that the, the children they work with, the young people they work with, are bringing challenges in their lives as never before. So we pray that as our instruments of ministry into those children's and young people's lives, we pray for them, that you would empower and encourage them. Father, another school we would pray for is in Honduras, the Abundant Life Christian School, and for Jake and Rachel Kampan as they lead that uh, school in that other country in Honduras. Thank you that we're bound together, not only as family, but in the gospel. And so we ask that you extend this international mission outreach of Heart Awake and make it fruitful. Be with them in all that they do. Father, we thank you that for your children, you have opened a gateway through the Lord Jesus to come to you, and that Jesus himself taught us how to pray. And so hear our prayers as we use the words the Lord himself has taught us saying this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen, amen. Now I'm reminded, I see Miss Becky in the back. 
Uh, she'll wave. If there's any kids, this is a time, I think, K through three downstairs. Any kids want to be dismissed and go with Miss Becky to stuff? Oh, there we go. Technology is fun when it works. Now's your time to, to be released and um, head to that. For those of us staying here, which looks like all of us, um, I want to read the closing part of our scripture. We've been reading for 31 weeks now from this edited version of the Bible. It's kind of reduced some of the repetitive and additional material. Um, so we get a close look at the narrative, uh, the storyline, and we want to look at all things new. This is the last Sunday. We've made it from Genesis to Revelation following this important narrative. And for this week, um, we hit chapter 31, it's called The End of Time, and it has a number of chapters from the book of Revelation. Now, I'm painfully aware, John Calvin, a historic theological mentor for me, he did much of his impact on society through writing Bible commentaries. One of the books that he did not write a commentary for was Revelation. And it's kind of typical in Reformed churches that we kind of step away. But I'm excited about this morning because when you see the book of Re Revelation through the lens of the gospel of God's grace, I think you'll find some fascinating and important things uh, open up. So this morning, I want to uh, read from just five verses at the end of Revelation. We're picking up chapter 21, um, verses 1 through 5. Hear the word of God. I'm going to ask that as you um, hear, if you'd stand with me out of respect and appreciation for God's written word and follow me on the screen as I read. This is John writing. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for that first heaven and that first earth had, had passed away and there was no longer even any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He himself will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for that old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat and we'll pray. O oh Lord, our God and Father, uh, what a day that must have been on the Isle of Patmos where John, an aged and imprisoned man, sought you in prayer and a moment was in the Spirit. In the Spirit, he saw and heard things in a transcendent encounter beyond our ability to, to simply grasp in the physical. But there he saw the revelation of Jesus. Then he carefully wrote down what he saw and he heard. And your church quickly recognized this as the last word of the long and great story from Genesis to Revelation. Thank you for the way that you've condescended to speak into human language through prophets and apostles and historians and leaders and poets and all sorts of folks. 
Thank you for the way you've preserved these texts across centuries. And now by your grace, we can, as it were, unroll the scroll, read, translate, ponder, pray. Thank you that you so desire to be with and love your people that you've made yourself known in this way. We give you thanks. And we ask too, Lord, that you be present this day. I guard your people from my own brokenness and confusion and be present that we might hear your marvelous word. For we pray in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people sit together. Amen and amen. Well, as I thought about the book of Revelation, as I read through the larger context and passages, and as I began to think about, um, I typically read through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, once a year. So I've probably read through Revelation 40 or 50 times in my life. That's beginning to, number seems real big all of a sudden. (laughs) But as I've thought about Revelation, and particularly in light of the whole Bible, I wanted to call this morning immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. As never before, I saw the book of Revelation as an answer to God's prayer, and we'll end with that. But it's about immeasurably more than all that we could ask or imagine. That's what was made known to John in that. Let's start as we think about this by looking at what I want to call the grand narrative. Part of our conviction as we've preached through the entire scripture in this way is that there's an important thread that goes from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus said it's all about him. And so because he's Jesus, I take his word as authority. And I'm going to try to see Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, every book in the Bible as they point or grow out of him. When we look at the very beginning, we see Genesis 1 and 2. When things started, they were good. God created and said, it is good. Indeed, at the end, he said, it is very good. Genesis 1, 31. And there's been moments that I wish the whole story ended right there. But it didn't. Chapter 3, something breaks. And we remember that story, Adam and Eve in this idyllic setting in the garden. There's a temptation. There's a a choice to step away from God's intention, to live for themselves. And there's consequences. We call it the fall. We refer to this idea that all are broken. So it started good, but then something happened. And brokenness, sin is the classical word used, entered into human reality and existence. I want to tell you something. I still believe in all of that because I believe the Bible teaches it. But I've been listening to people as I interact with them. And I'm beginning to realize that when I say broken, many people in our time and setting hear something different than I mean. And because I want to communicate clearly, I want to make real clear, at least here, that when I use this word broken, I do not, nor does the Bible even infer that a synonym for that word broken is worthless. I may be broken, but I am not worthless. I am not a person of no value. Now, we are Americans, we're here, and what do Americans do when something is broken? 
you throw it out. You get a new one. Get on Amazon. We can replace that. Not a problem. And so I realize that more and more people, when I say broken, thinking about the good creation impacted by sin, they hear valueless and worthless. And I want to tell you, that's not what is being communicated here. Americans may throw broken things away, but not God. This is why the gospel of God's grace is such surprising good news. We may be broken, but the God of the Bible still loves us, and he values us. When I listen closely to conversations with people, even church-going people, that's why I want to make this clear here, they hear worthless when I say broken. In a world that's increasingly living by the worldview of expressive individualism, when it's about me and me determining truth and me expressing myself, that for me to be broken would express something broken and be shame. It's interesting that a lot of professional counselors are talking about a growing impact of loneliness, isolation, Shame. Many people are feeling, Tim Keller talks about this in our latest podcast book on forgive. He says, Western culture is increasingly shame-based. We're going back to the Roman period when it was all about shame and honor. The gospel set Western civilization free from that for a season. But now that we make it all about us, brokenness, worthless, Shame follows. I want to tell you, friends, we are broken. And I would suggest to you, hear me in this, that sometimes the reason your life doesn't seem to be working out is because of the impact of the brokenness of this world. But that does not mean you or your neighbor or the person halfway around the world is without value because God gives value. Let me tell you another story about a Honda that Bill Lindner used to own. It was a classic. I don't even know the date. They may not have been dating cars that far back, but it was a two-seat Honda CRX hashback. You might call it the Bill Lindner signature model. It had crank windows. The radio was broken and I wasn't about to fix it. Yeah, the air conditioning was gone. Forget that. I did find a a back hatchback window with a a defroster in it in a junkyard. So I switched that out and kind of jimmied some wire because I couldn't keep it in the garage. I jumped that wire in the back window and I'd head off to work. It met its demise at 330,000 miles. And then there it was, wrecked on the side of the highway. I had to figure out a way to get it wrecked and parked in front of my house. You know how much it was worth at that point? To me, because I was thinking I was going to have to pay to get it gone from there, it was less than zero. But desperate man that I was, I put it in an online ad thing to the highest bidder. And you know, in three days, a number of folks called, came out and looked, and finally, some young man took a look at that car and he said, I'll give you $500. I breathed deep, 
I put on my eye patch and peg leg. Oh, matey, I'll take it, it's yours. I felt like I was a pirate. But you see, to him, he gave that piece of junk value. To me, it was worthless. I want to tell you, when the world sees broken people, right now it thinks valueless. But the good news of the gospel, and it's here at the very beginning, is that yes, we were good. Yes, we are now broken. But God is at work. That's what the gospel is. And so there's this part in the beginning. Chapters 1 and 2, it started good. Chapter 3, the good gets broken. And then in the middle, the broken gets fixed by... And that's where I started. But you know, yesterday while meditating and praying through the sermon, I realized it didn't get fixed. I got up this morning and looked at the headlines and realized, you know, you're right. It did not get fixed. What happens in the middle is not that everything gets perfected, but that everything gets ransomed and rescued. So three chapters in, it's good and it's broken. And then there's the story of God himself giving value by ransoming and rescuing. And that takes up, oh, about 1,184 chapters. It's done poetically, it's done in history, it's done prophetically, it's done recording the life of Jesus and the life of the early church, it's done in epistles, but it's all about the great story of what it means when God himself enters into a world that was good but is now broken and says, I'll pay the price, I'll ransom it, and then I'll rescue it. That's what all that is in the middle. And now we come to the end and we hear this ringing declaration of God that because of what Jesus did on the cross for me and for you and for all humanity, he will make all things new. Imagine that. All things new. There will be no more death or mourning. Did you hear that in the scripture this morning? There will be like something we've never seen. It's like a city coming down out of heaven. It's dressed like a bride. Don't ask me how you get a city to dress like a bride. He's looking beyond himself. And that's what I want to do. I'm going to go back and read through chapter one of Revelation and kind of comment as we go. You'll see this in the sermon outline. And I'll give you reference to more things that I'll be able to spend time on. The first thing we read, and I'll start Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave John to show, which God gave him, Jesus, to show his servants what must take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies, John testifies to everything he saw, that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is singular because it's a singular, single revelation of one thing, Jesus Christ. When you begin to make revelation about a number of things or about additional things, you'll begin to lose focus. Every vision he has, every encounter John has, every word he hears, all point back and are all a portion of the single revelation, Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is about Jesus. 
Now, um, there's a, a technique called recapitulation, because if you read through um, Revelation or if you look at these different passages we had in the story, you'll see a vision here, a vision there. And it is organized in a way that you see seven encounters, seven visions, seven horns, seven bowls. You see all these different things, but these all relate back to Jesus, who is the central revelation. I wish we had more time in this because this begins to open up the book of Revelation in a way that you go, aha, it's now revealing something. I see that these repetitive patterns point back to Jesus and that becomes the, the, um, the, the nail on which you hang everything. In the celebration inform that went out uh, Friday morning, I had a link to a blog post called An Easier Way to Read Revelation. You can, if you have to Google for it, it's on the Gospel Coalition website. And they talk there and will lead you through, again, just a good help for reading the book of Revelation. It would probably be insightful to take about 30 minutes, read that article. It's three to five minutes maybe, and then read the book of Revelation with it right next to you. And you'll begin to see overall what this means. The whole matter of time, you see, is very tricky in the book of Revelation. We'll get to that in a minute. They write in this article that Revelation is not meant to be read merely as a chronology of fantastical events. Well, this happens, and then that happens, and the other happens, and this other thing happens. So you can read Revelation as if it's supposed to be a, almost a tr train schedule, events in chronological order that explain where we are and what's about to happen. It wasn't meant to be read that way. It should be seen instead as one set of events, often repeated, each with increasing intensity and from a different perspective. Now, where have you heard the Bible record events from different perspectives? The Gospels, exactly. One Jesus, four Gospels. Full, clear revelation of who Jesus is. That's what's happening, similar in the book of Revelation. The Apostle John is not denoting the historical chronology of the events he describes. Rather, he's chronicling the order in which he saw a series of visions, and indeed, they all point back to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, this is a revelation of Jesus. Verse 3, back in chapter 1. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because, here's a statement, the time is near. Well, that was 2,000 years ago. How near is that time? See, I told you that time in the book of Revelation is fairly tricky. But you and I know that we experience time in different ways. The Greeks did as well. All humans have experienced time in different ways. I wait 365 days. There's some chronology. And then I have my birthday. There's a particular time for that birthday. Now, the Greeks would speak of time, and this reference in 1-3, time is near, with different words. Greeks do that. You've heard that before. One is kairos, the moment that events lead up to, like your birthday. The other is chronos, like linear chronology, calendar, 
What gets you there? We saw this last week. Here's another illustration. Make you glad that Steph Curry didn't play for the Saints. You'd never hear the end of all of this. The whole NBA season has a schedule and a chronology. And at the end of the season, the playoffs began. And there was a fateful series between the Golden State Warriors and the Sacramento Kings. One game after another, just as scheduled in chronology, until game seven. And suddenly, tied up, having embarrassed themselves in the sixth game, Steph Curry looks to his teammates and he says, gentlemen, this is the moment. And so last Sunday, Steph Curry, 50 points in one game, the first time in game seven of a playoff, it was his Kairos. They did the chronology all season. Kairos. I didn't happen to mention, by the way, that Steph Curry went to a really good undergraduate school. Yes, yes, he and I are alumni of the same little school in North Carolina, Davidson. But last Sunday afternoon was a Kairos moment in the chronology of the basketball season. What John is saying, what he hears God say, is that the Kairos is near. There's not a comment about the chronology. Do you see how that is? We've been living through 2,000 years of chronology. The kairos is almost present. We live in that tension between the cross and the return of Christ. The chronos is very long. The kairos will happen. I'm thankful for this scripture. I remember this sermon being preached by a Dr. George Ladd at Fuller Seminary while I was a student there. And he unpacked this for our students, Matthew 24, 14. This is Jesus saying that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations. Then the end will come. You want to understand Kronos? It doesn't happen because of what you can decipher in the book of Revelation to the newspaper headlines. The Kronos of the return of Jesus is connected to the gospel of the kingdom being preached to pantata ethne in the Greek, all the ethnics, every people group on the planet. We're closer than we've ever been, but we're not there yet. I don't try to decipher the headlines. I pray for the nations because Jesus himself said, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the nations then. The Kronos will be up. I'll tell you another challenging thing. Let me get back to uh, reading chapter 1. The, chapter f- 1, verse 4 goes, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, then from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the nations. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Let me read that again. To him who agapes us. That's the love. 
a love that acts in our best interest. And it has freed us from our sins by his blood. There's the ransom and the rescue. See, it's about Jesus. He goes on, I'll jump down to verse nine. He says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. It's a hard thing to hear, but friends, the kairos is near, but in this chronos, suffering will continue. In this chronos, there will continue to be death. Death will be a part of our life until Jesus returns. There will be suffering. We will get hard diagnoses. We will see economies collapse. We will see people persecute the church. All these things are happening. Suffering will continue, but in this we will not be alone. And we will have a greater hope. Now, if we had a class, I would dig into this a little different, differently and in more. There's a particular theory about how the Bible was written. And when people read the Bible in light of this theory, they come up with a, a number of different ideas. It's a theory called dispensationalism. The history of it is interesting. It started in England in the 19th century. And there's a particular doctrine that's at the heart of that that I, I, I would just as a pastor, don't have to agree with me if you want to hear me out more on this, um, I'll buy coffee. But part of this dispensational theory is the idea of what's called a secret rapture of the church. That there will come a moment when everything's about to get really bad. But don't worry, because the church, God's believers, will be lifted out of the difficulty. There'll be a nice time in heaven while there's an awful time on earth, and then we come back. Try preaching that in China. Try preaching that in the Ukraine. It might work in the Midwest or the southern part of the United States but you don't find it in the Bible. I, I Consider this, friends. I think suffering is gonna continue in the meantime in the chronos we are in, and that God's grace will lead us through whatever it is we face, not out of. I blogged once, I didn't put it up again, but I blogged once on, here's hoping we leave behind the series Left Behind. It was bad, Bill's attempt at bad humor. Please don't plan on getting raptured out of difficult times. But hear me about a God who is great enough to get you through whatever they may be. Now, don't have to believe me. And if we come up onto hard times and this secret rapture of the church happens, you can look over at me and I'll get glad I was wrong. But if you encounter suffering, let's get together. I have nothing else to say besides let me walk with you through this. God's grace is big enough. You're not alone. I'm here. You see that? I think you see suffering through the book of Revelation. I think these things that kind of hide that from us are problematic. John goes on to write, on the Lord's day I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet in the spirit. Whoa. This is a particularly unique 
a Greek phrase that's used 12 times in the New Testament. It's fascinating to dig into it and see four times in Revelation. And it really speaks to a state of being. I was like this, but then for a time I was in the spirit. I was in my library and then I was in the spirit. You see, it's a, a change of, of being. It's a vision really of transcendence. I come back to this theme. It's more than just imminent frame. What's happening to John here cannot be explained by um, the psychology or economics or social forces. There's something from outside the system that changes John's state of being for a period of time. He's in the spirit. He sees, he hears, he writes, he records. He brings that back with him into our frame. You see, if we could, and I say this from time to time, get in Doc Brown's DeLorean, a time traveler, and bring some medical equipment to the Isle of Patmos in about 90 AD, and if we could put a brain scan on John during this, we could analyze what's happening in his brain, but we wouldn't understand in the spirit. See what I'm saying? The brain scan would show you, in terms of medical technology, what's going on. But what John is recording is something from outside the system that impacts. I've always wondered, what would a heart monitor look like on the body of Jesus in the tomb at the moment of the resurrection? Whoa! I don't know. I'm sure it would have registered something. But you cannot explain the resurrection as nothing more than a change of heartbeat. There's something transcendent. And I want you to be clear in your understanding that this is different than just meeting God the Spirit. We may encounter transcendence in our life and body, but there's more going on here. We need to remember in this day and time where there's so much confusion, and this is just a little parenthetical statement, a little aside, but it's important, friends. The Spirit of God is God the Spirit and a spiritual person, that is to say with will, that can communicate, that has purpose, some things that the Spirit is and some things the Spirit is not. The Spirit of God is not simply an impersonal power. The Spirit of God is God himself. So many people, picture the Spirit of God as almost like energy, electricity, force. And so if the Spirit is a force, what do you want to do with the Spirit? You want to use it. And so you, you get Oprah Winfrey's 20-sentence manifestation script, and you manifest with the, spirit of the, the Spirit's power what you want. See, that's what happens when the Spirit is no more than a force. When the Spirit is a person, you want to get to know the Spirit. You want to obey the Spirit. You want to follow the Spirit. We need to be so clear about this, folks. When we talk about transcendence, we're not just talking about spiritual whatever we want. We're talking about the true living God, different from every other false God, different from any sort of life force. God himself who comes and speaks and moves and rescues from our world. You see, John is seeing here more than all we could ever ask or imagine. The Apostle Paul writes this to the church in Philippi. 
It's his prayer that his people might know more and see more than they could ever ask or imagine. And I want to close by making a connection to this. Revelation is an answer to Paul's prayer. And it's a reminder that we are called to live in light of that reality with a hope in our present world. Think of that. Living in light of that reality, because you see, it's not just our projection. It's what God has done. But we live in this world. I think of so many people in this moment. Millard Fuller, a millionaire businessman whose wife, whose uh, marriage wrecked. He and his wife moved to America's Georgia with Clarence Jordan. Growing out of that time of renewal and discipleship for Clarence and his wife, he began to have a godly vision, a decent house for every person. And out of that vision of where God was taking the world came Habitat for Humanity. Dr. Martin Luther King, I have a dream. That's because Dr. King was a believing Christian, a pastor. And he had seen and understood where God was taking the world and that was his dream. This was not wish projection. Oh, if only I could. This was not Oprah's manifestation. This was a living today in light of that which is to come, a hope that is to come. Not just settling the score of injustice in this world, but a deep vision of reconciliation in the hope of what God had promised. Wholeness, shalom. Friends, I often think we live with a lack of imagination. Many times the political world gives me two options. I'm either this or I'm that. More and more, you know what I'm sensing? Is that the gospel is calling me to something different that doesn't fit either. And that glorious vision, like Millard Fullard saw, like Martin Luther King saw, is how we come to live in this world. Not with the options of the world, but in the hope of the gospel. I want to tell you something. I'll close with a story appropriate to tulip time. That's why Holland is here. 1847, Albertus von Ralti, a gospel-centered pastor and preacher in the Netherlands who's been imprisoned for his faith, like John, who's had his income, which came through the church of the state, disrupted and taken away, gathers his people as a congregation across the ocean and to western Michigan. Here we are. Here we are. Listen to what he says. At the 25th anniversary of the founding of Holland, 1872, good to think about this on the first Sunday of Tulip Time, and just so I, I give credit where credit is due, this is from a blog post by Lynn Austin, the writer here in Holland, as she's reflected a blog post, Time for Tulips. On the 25th anniversary of the founding of Holland, Pastor Von Ralty, by this an aging man, and I want to tell you something. It struck me yesterday. You know who was probably at that festival to hear it? His son, Dirk. Dirk has a great story. 
born, one of the sons of uh, Pastor Van Ralty, born in the Netherlands, came with his family to Holland, grew up, and because his dad was a strong anti-slavery preacher, when Dirk was 18, he joined the Union Army, saw action outside of Atlanta. I first read one of his letters back home, he wrote from the hospital, and after catching them up on all the news, he says, sorry for my bad penmanship. They had to amputate my right arm, and I'm having to relearn how to write. No more concern than if he'd swatted a mosquito. I want to tell you, suffering will continue. Dirk may well have been in the congregation when Albertus looked to them and he said, Beloved, beloved who follow us in the inheritance, that's us. 150 years or more later, we give it over to you with joy. Thank you, Pastor. But do not forget, okay, you're reminding us, we received it from God, for what reason? As a training school for eternity, a workplace for God's kingdom. Oh, I thought it was going to be a safe little burg outside of urban decay. Oh, I thought it was going to be a nice vacation spot. Oh, I thought it was going to... The guy who came here and founded it said a workplace for God's kingdom. This shall prosper in your hands, provided God and his kingdom remain your precious portion in life. I'm thankful for the safety we have, for the resources we have. I'm thankful to live here, but I want to echo the words of Albertus, Albertus von Rauti, the words from John the Apostle, that there is a greater hope in which we live. The hope of a kingdom where justice pours down like a river and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, where there is no more death or mourning or tears. And in that hope, we get to live differently right here right now, just like they did. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the glorious calling you've given your people. You've given us a calling to trust in you and to abide in Christ. You've not called us to figure out every policy conclusion. We're still struggling with all of that. You've not called us to figure out every sickness, though we're working on that. Help us to see where you will take all of your creation, ransomed and rescued and renewed. Begin that work in us that we might be, as it were, pioneers of the great kingdom to come. Thank you for people like Van Ralty and the early settlers of Holland who would leave beside what they knew to run the risk of being where you called them. We're inheritors of faithful people. Help us by your grace to be faithful people. Faithful not to the world, but to the Lord Jesus Christ, our only great king. Work in us a, a kindness that comes as the fruit of your Holy Spirit. 
work in us a genera- generosity that undermines our consumer culture and brings abundance to all. Call us to the ministry of reconciliation because you are gathering people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Help us to be a people who forgive just as we have been forgiven and who welcome just as we have been welcomed. We thank you for your great love and we make our prayer in the mighty and wonderful name of the only one who can do all that, the Lord Jesus. And all of God's people sit together, amen and amen. Friends, we are living in this real world with a greater hope than the real world can give. It can be well because God is God. Let's stand and sing to his glory. It's hymn number 451, When Peace Like a River.
enthroned upon the praises of his people, our voice, our hearts, our applause for a God who rescues. And now, friends, this benediction that I think is Paul's prayer that the book of Revelation answers. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen? Amen. And amen.